You're listening to the Bible Brush Up Podcast. And in this podcast, we have been spending the last few months in the prophets. And we've jumped around chronologically, just primarily to divide up the chunks of reading. We didn't want to read a lot of the major prophets side by side uh, as they may be found in the scripture. And so we've broken this up to put some of the smaller prophetic books between the larger prophetic sections. And um, because of that, uh, we've spent some time already in the post-exilic prophets. So those prophets that wrote after the exile into Babylonian captivity. Um, But we've read several that prophesied and, and were written for the people prior to going into exile. But today we're going to look at someone who wrote during the exile. And that is the book that we are currently going through in our reading plan, the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel writes from Babylon. Um, one of the only other books to be written from Babylon will be uh, the book of Daniel, and um, at least in the prophetic writings. But in the book of Ezekiel, we have a, an introduction to the book that describes him as being among the exiles at the Kabar Canal. And while he's over there, and this is during the first wave of exile, so there's still people in Jerusalem and in Judea. There's still a temple standing in Judea at this point. But one of the interesting things is that Ezekiel sees a vision. And this is what begins this prophetic ministry. He sees a vision, and this vision will appear to him multiple times throughout the book. And it's very significant that we understand what this vision is. Now, there are some who would have you to believe that this is a description of a UFO coming down from outer space, and that's certainly an outrageous claim. This is not a UFO or any other alien spacecraft, but rather this is a description of God. We have here some cherubim-like figures that are at the four corners of a platform that are being transported around. It's like a royal chariot, and on top of this platform is a throne, and upon that throne is a figure who Ezekiel describes as looking, uh, having the appearance at least, as a man, but not just any man because he is a man that has the appearance of fire and brightness radiating out of him, even the appearance of a bow, a rainbow. So we have this prismatic uh, variation of color radiating out of the one riding upon the throne. And, and a lot of this imagery is connected back to some antecedents within the Old Testament that bring us the proper interpretation. Uh, we look back at the appearing of God on Mount Sinai, and we remember how um, when God appears, the brightness is, is associated with God's appearing. We recognize um, that the fire that is described here, the appearance of fire is also associated with God on Sinai. When the people looked up on the mountain, they saw fire and smoke and the earth was trembling. And um, so these associations with God are showing up here as God appears. But also we remember that when they created a place for God to dwell among them uh, that started at Mount Sinai and later became developed in the temple within which there was the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant had cherubim on the top, and above the cherubim is where God's presence was 
revealed to the people. And in that room, it would have been covered in smoke. They would have filled the room with smoke, and um, which would have reflected the, the cloud and the, um, the smoke up on the top of Mount Sinai. And so we get this recapitulation of God's appearing, and we're getting that again here in the book of Ezekiel. And so as these winged creatures are moving around, they resemble the cherubim that are in the Holy of Holies. And so this is the temple presence of God. This is where God um, was very uniquely manifest in the Holy of Holies. He's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But there was a unique presence of God in the temple. And it was something that people came to expect, that their God would be in their temple in the Holy of Holies. And that's where they would have access to him. And um, that's why the sacrificial system would actually help um, them atone for their sins uh, on an annual basis because they knew that God was inside of the Holy of Holies. So the high priest could go in there on the Day of Atonement. He could sprinkle the blood and, and all that he needed to do, to do in order to atone for the sins of Israel. But here, Ezekiel has been taken into exile, and now he's seeing the presence of God not in the Holy of Holies, not in Israel, not in Jerusalem, uh, but in Babylon, in the place that would be considered the, the enemies of God, the place where there is idolatry, uh, people are worshiping all sorts of foreign deities, and now God is appearing to them. The temple presence of God has showed up over there. And what are we to take away from that? Well, I think this is the initial chapter that is setting up the rest of the book, and it's describing uh, that God's presence has left the building. God has become so upset with his people that he has left the temple. And that was part of the agreement. If we go back to the covenant, the covenant agreement was that if the people honored God, obeyed him, did not turn into the foreign countries around them and worship other gods, but rather maintained a degree of distinctness in that they would worship only God and obey his commands and precepts, that they would honor the Sabbath, that they would let the land rest, that they would uh, take care of the widows and orphans, that they would practice circumcision and the, the year of Jubilee. Uh, all of these different aspects of the covenant, if they would uphold them, then God would stay in their presence, in their midst, and would protect them. But because of their idolatry and their depravity, because they have committed various sins of social injustice and they've neglected the widow and the orphan and they have bowed their knee to other gods and to other kings uh, in order to find uh, refuge and safety in these ungodly alliances. I mean, the, the laundry list goes on. And because of that, God has had enough. And so he has forsaken his people. Um, he has left his people. He has left them to their own fate. And their fate is going to be to suffer under the regime of the Babylonians. They are going to come in and they are going to conquer and destroy the temple. And the temple is no longer the house of God. So it can be destroyed. If God were there, it could not be destroyed. But God has left. And that's why Ezekiel is seeing God here. And so for several chapters, Ezekiel is given these descriptions of why God has left. And so Ezekiel sees the iniquity 
of Israel. He sees the iniquity of Jerusalem. He sees how the temple has not brought about spiritual transformation of the people, but rather they have continued to sin against God in the ways that we've already described. And it's really the echo of all the other prophetic works. Each of these prophets are drawing attention to the sinfulness of the people of God, that they just will not repent and turn. And so when you get to chapter 5, he starts to describe that Jerusalem will be destroyed and there is going to be a a massive judgment that sweeps over the land because of this iniquity. And um, so that becomes kind of the ongoing proclamation throughout most of the book. It describes their sins um, and describes how evil they are and why God is doing what he's doing. But the point is, is that He's no longer there in their presence to protect them. Their time has gone, and it's a point of no return. They can't go back uh, at this point. They can't repent their way back into right standing with God because they've already violated the covenant to a point of no return. So they're going to pay. Now, God does promise that there will be a remnant saved. This is the same promise that's made in all of the prophetic Uh, works. All of the prophets write about destruction and write about judgment, but they also give a glimmer of hope. And so there is a promise here that there will be a remnant preserved and saved. The salvation becomes a very important part of Ezekiel's writing, especially when we get to around chapter 36 and beyond uh, towards the end of the book, we see many aspects of salvation. God is not done with his people. He's not abandoned them in the sake that he's completely washed his hands of them and he's just giving up on them. Uh, He's just bringing judgment for a time, but there will be this remnant that will be saved and there is a future for the people of God that is going to be quite glorious. And so we get various pictures from Ezekiel. We get the dry bones uh, description where Ezekiel is taken to a kind of a graveyard where dry bones are laying all over the place and uh, the Spirit of God causes them to stand up and flesh comes on them. And what you end up with is a people, strong people that were made from nothing, that from a, a... picture of complete and utter death. He has made living people, and that's what God is going to do. He is going to bring spiritual life to a people that are spiritually dead. That's the picture. Israel is spiritually dead at this point, but there is going to come a time where he's going to renew their hearts, and so that's a, a description we have in chapter 36, that there's going to be a renewal of heart. He's going to put his spirit inside of the people, and he's going to take away their heart of stone. And we understand that that is a prediction that becomes fulfilled in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit poured out, not just on Israel, but all of God's people. And so while this picture is situated in a context that seems like is a prediction just for Israel, as I tend to view the scripture, especially the Old Testament prophecies, um, I, I see this over and over again that the promises and the prophecies regarding Israel become fulfilled in the church, of which Israel is a part. And so there are Jewish people. Paul is a recipient of this promise. His heart is taken from a heart of stone, and he's given a heart of flesh, And so God's Spirit 
comes in him and renews him. He becomes circumcised of heart and in doing so becomes a part of the people of God. Even though he was a Jew before, he wasn't a part of the people of God because he was persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting God and God's people. And so he became a part of Abraham's spiritual family by having this heart of stone removed and the heart of flesh put in. But not just Paul and not just Peter and the other Jews, but also Gentiles who also share a common faith and unite themselves to a common Jesus, and that Jesus being a Jew. And so in uniting themselves to Jesus, they take on that identity, um, that same uh, ethnic identity, we might say, in Christ because of our union with him. And so I believe that these promises are fulfilled in our union with Christ. And therefore, we, even today, as Gentiles, are a part of this. We have had the heart of stone removed, and we have had a heart of flesh put in us through the indwelling spirit of God. Uh, so that's a very significant part of Ezekiel, uh, but it gets even more glorious as we get to a point here where he starts to describe uh, a day when the Davidic king will show up and he will reestablish um, the, the priesthood. He'll reestablish the kingdom. He is going to be a shepherd, it says in Ezekiel chapter 37, um, because right now the shepherds that are leading Israel are one of the reasons of their downfall. They have forsaken the sheep and have begun devouring them because of their selfishness, but they're going to get a selfless king who is willing to even lay down his life for the sheep. And this Davidic king is going to restore the priesthood and the temple, and there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple, which has become uh, quite a controversy among theologians of what this means. Is it literal? Is there going to be a real temple? Uh, certainly those that fall within the pre uh, millennial camps, the ones who believe in a literal thousand-year reign, often time gravitate toward a literal interpretation of this because they believe that there will come a time where Israel will return to the sacrificial system and will be offering up lambs and goats and bulls once more. Um, and in addition to that, there are some passages within the New Testament that mention, uh, for instance, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 about uh, the man of sin setting up in the temple of God, and they believe that to be fulfilled in a literal rebuilding of the temple. However, there are others who take this more symbolically. They look at Ezekiel, and they find a lot of symbolism in this book, uh, which I would agree with. There's a ton of symbolism. And so they'd say that this uh, temple symbol here represents that God is going to dwell with his people, and he's going to bring a global restoration, not just for Israel, but other kingdoms are mentioned here. And the picture that we're given is a temple where a river runs out of it and it flows all the way through uh, Israel down into the Dead Sea, into the wilderness and the desert. And as it flows, it's springing up life. It's a, a garden picture, which reminds us of the restoration of Eden that has been sought out uh, through all of the biblical accounts up till now. They're trying to get back to Eden. They're trying to restore themselves back to a relationship with God in paradise. And when the Davidic heir comes, he's going to bring that. And so we believe that that's what Jesus is going to restore. And that's the picture we get in the book of Revelation in the end when we get there.
So I personally don't believe that there's going to be a literal rebuilding of the temple. And that's not to say that someone somewhere is not going to build a temple. Uh, They very well may, but I don't believe that's the fulfillment of this text. I believe the fulfillment of this text is exactly what we see in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says there is no temple. For God and the Lamb are the temple. And we, the people of God, are united to the Lamb, and we are currently the temple. And so any reference, I believe, to the temple in the prophets is veiled, in a sense, because the full revelation of God has not yet been put on display. It doesn't come until Jesus. But in Jesus, all of the Old Testament points. And I believe that this temple, the Davidic heir who's restoring this temple, we see that in the building plan of Jesus with the New Testament community as he starts building upon that rock and him being the cornerstone. And we are living stones stacked up to be that temple. And so the entire book of Ezekiel really is a description of how the temple of God in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But God's already left that temple. And God is going to finally take up residence in his son Jesus and in his people. And so that's what I believe uh, the picture of Ezekiel is uh, portraying for us today. And we can rejoice in the fact that we are a part of his restoration program as we get back to Eden. We'll stop there for today and we'll pick up next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.